episode of the In Real Deep podcast. I'm your host, Steve Semino, senior writer at InRealDeep.com, and with me as always, executive editor Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew. Heck, you know. <laughs> Man, I have so much to say about that. I have so much to say about these two movies. We are back on the In Real Deep podcast. We are continuing our journey through the filmography of Quentin Tarantino, and this is a jam-packed multi-movie episode. There's a lot going on. There's so much to talk about. That, of course, is because we are tackling two movies at once. Could have been one movie at one point, but as we receive it, as you rent it on uh, Xbox One or whatever your preferred rental <laughs> service is, I obviously use Xbox One, It is we're, we are discussing the Kill Bill duo, Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2. I don't know if it's the most ambitious movie Tarantino made. I don't know if it's the coolest one he's ever made. I don't know what, how exactly you would sum this one up. It's long, it's busy, and it's, I think, fits a little bit better in our memories and in our past than it does now revisiting in 2019. Uh, yeah, it's it's certainly, I, I mean, I think it's fair to start with the idea that it's probably the most ambitious, if you count it as one movie which I think it should be counted as one movie, even though they were released separately. It's certainly the most ambitious that he's attempted. Whether it comes off is another, <laughs> another question entirely. Um, and I think it, it does, it, well, to step back, it does It does come off, I guess, to a degree. It, it, it works as a movie. It's, it's entertaining, uh, or two movies. Um, but uh, yeah, I... I I, I really this was near the top of my lit list um, coming into our, our little our little jaunt here and um, it is not near the top of my list any longer. <laughs> um, which is not to say I didn't enjoy it and by the way I watched on uh, my my uh, DVD copy so it was maybe that part of the problem was that it was like kind of grainy and low definition but um, uh, uh, yeah I, I mean I I can't. I'm I'm surprised in the context of where we started the series that it, it, that is the case. I'm actually not surprised as we got closer and closer to watching this movie that like or these this set of movies that I feel that way now. Um, which is interesting. I mean, like this is uh, to me. We talked about this a little on our last episode. This is th- these movies are I think a big line of demarcation, right? Where Tarantino try starts trying to do diff- different things with his really different things with his career. I mean, like the first three movies we talked about are all like basically set in LA and crime thrillers with, you know, with gangsters basically. Um, this is not that. Different. This is, this is, yeah. right. that is, this is a, and, and he so, took six years off in between too. Right, so he, right. there was a lot of time and effort and a big pivot that went into this. And I think to me, what this movie sums up more than anything, we talked about this on our Reservoir Dogs episode. We talked about that was like the the dorm room poster movie. It was way cooler in our memories. We've grown up a little bit and parts of it are there clearly for shock value or or just or more appealing to maybe a younger, less discerning audience. This one, I think, takes that cake and stomps all over it and says, no, we are the movie that (laughs) this is the movie that is for dorm room posters. This is the movie that is cool. And like it's in a different way, but it just it feels fully made to 
surprise and be visually memorable and stimulating and exciting and all these things that have value and are, like you said, it's not bad. It's not an unfortunate watch. You're not going to regret the choice. Mm-hmm. But it, after Jackie Brown in particular, it's just it, – it's it's an incredible 180. And whether you yeah. love that 180 or not is, is a very subjective thing. But I think the way you and I gushed over Jackie Brown, it's hard to go into this one now and say and, – and just be – and just – be like whoa this is just not <laughs> this is a big change yeah well I, I um you know i think you hit on the, the that dorm room poster I, I guess i think this movie came out towards the end of my college time or maybe even after i can't really remember um but uh uh it's certainly going for this icon you said iconic but i think it's iconographic sort of like uh approach it's it's all it's all like obsessed with the sort of a legend right it, it, this is a legend and it and then it blends like samurai films and kung fu films and westerns and then a very eclectic soundtrack and then like anime at some point to like to to achieve its goal right i think it achieves its goal of like you know it, in in some ways, you know, uh, of any of the Tarantino films, you, you think about a visual from any Tarantino film, like maybe the top of your list is um, Samuel L. Jackson and John, uh, John Travolta dressed in, you know, their black suits. And, and maybe right after that is um, Uma Thurman wield, wielding a, 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 a Tori Hanzo samurai sword. In the, um, in the yellow jumpsuit. Right, yeah. right, in the yellow jumpsuit. And, and so um, I just, I, I don't, like, I enjoy like watching it. I enjoyed it, but it didn't like it didn't fill me with any any real emotion, to be honest. Like, and which uh, until like sort of I guess the very end, the very the, the the very end of the second part. But even it takes a long time to get there, and even even that meaning is pretty. I, I think pretty. I think it's in my opinion just pretty hollow compared to what was going on with Jackie Brown and um and and Pulp Fiction and everything before it. So. Yep. Well, before we get too far, let's do our beverage of choice segment. Yes. Let's talk about what alcohol is fueling this heated Kill Bill <laughs> conversation. I have a very large stone go-to IPA, a nice session IPA. Big fan of that one. Got a nice taste to it, and it goes down smooth and easy and isn't too strong. Uh, I have a Lagunitas 12th of Never Ale. It also goes down strong or smooth. <laughs> Uh, maybe not strong. It's this is possibly the latest I've ever recorded a podcast episode. Uh, yeah, we are. I have stretch. kept you. I have uh, kept you very so, late, Andrew. So I appreciate well, your yeah. flexibility in that regard, and we'll see if like, you get a little loopy or zany, and maybe, yeah. maybe that'll add to the entertainment uh, value for our listeners. <laughs> probably feel, I probably sound very subdued, uh, <laughs> but partially, partially because of the the film we're talking about, um, well, which isn't will get you going. So that's good. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so I will say, you mentioned the soundtrack before, and you mentioned the time period in which you saw it. I was in high school when the first one came out. I was about to go to college. And I remember the being so excited after seeing Volume 1 and wanting Volume 2 so bad. And also, in retrospect, being so pumped just about how well the music is used in Volume 1. I went to Borders, and I bought the Kill Bill 1 soundtrack for probably like $19, <laughs> which is a lot, which I mean, for music is a lot now, and certainly was a lot when you were... 18 and did not have a ton of money to your name but i was just so enthused like and i will say that's the one thing i did write down about volume one that i like the most beyond the fact that it's a very entertaining action movie with a ton of great set pieces 
the this music is just the opening the bang bang my baby shot me down mm-hmm. song mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is so perfect like yeah. the, the, what that made me think of is like how did this song exist outside of the context of this movie like it's just it's <laughs> yeah. like dude looks like a lady being in mrs doubtfire it's like yeah. why did aerosmith write dude looks like a lady if not for mrs doubtfire and why did this my baby shot me down why did that song exist beyond kill bell like i know that it obviously did but like it just fits like a glove and and all through volume one i think it is it is loaded with a bunch of really great musical cues and a lot of great tunes like you said very eclectic but they all work very well so in the style and in the flash that he's going for set to great tunes like he does achieve that he definitely i think it's very much what he was looking to do is it good it doesn't live up to the tarantino oeuvre to that point debatable but he certainly hits big home runs with certain elements of it for sure yeah and for uh, any 19 year olds listening hearing Steve as a 17 year old going to a borders and buying a CD. Uh, how do we even explain that? Uh, it's a bookstore that you actually went to and the CD is kind of like a record. Uh, but and they charge you an arm cool. and a leg for it. And you did, basically cool. it was, yeah. it was knee jerk purchases or yeah. like your parents might buy it for you. That's the only people I ever saw buying CDs at borders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially, but yeah, Borders always overpriced. Best Buy had the Best Buy had the good prices. Everyone knows that. Um, okay, well, yeah, I, uh, I, I, yeah, there are there are great moments in the in the movie. I mean, there's there's a lot of again a lot of sort of like uh, humorous moments. Although I, I feel like you know I I can't think of anything better to kind of when you talk about humor and and Tarant- humor is a signature of Tarantino's, of course. But like, I can't think of anything that signals more of a change than the a visual of the pussy wagon, this yellow and pink uh, <laughs> truck. And like, I can't think of a better way to explain how over the top this is relative to like, even a guy who's known for being uh, to this point for being o- over the top, like that. I mean, talk about a, like a tone setter, um, but there, yeah, there are great, uh, there are great moments in this. You, you brought up the action. I mean, like, the stuff with the crazy 88 and um and then i i think in 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 volume two you know the scene where she's buried alive is like incredible uh and it, it's not an action scene i guess but it's it, in terms of like tension it's it's really good but it's just like i don't know what what is it about all this that doesn't quite hang together in the same way to me it's it's sort of a it's not that the characters aren't developed. It's just that I don't, they're developed in a way that I don't, I don't have any real attachment to them. You know, I don't, I don't like, and, and especially in contrast to like Jackie Brown, which the, like the characters make me like the main characters, at least make me kind of warm and fuzzy inside. And I think, um, I think, I think that's the difference, at least for me. I don't know. And I, and I think that's sort of the, by design too, you know, which is the interesting thing. This yeah. Yeah. we're not the first people to make this out, not even close to the first people to make this observation, but it feels like a video game. The movie, yeah. especially the parts where she is chasing the mini bosses and killing them one by mm-hmm. one to mm-hmm. get to the main boss, Bill. Like That mm-hmm. is obviously inspired by other kung fu movies and 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 anime and then video but like there's there is a it's, it's a storytelling choice that i think by 
by definition limits your engagement with these people mm-hmm. because they are they are there to serve a sort of narrative purpose and a specific purpose, but not to make you care about them beyond what they're in there. It's like watching sort of Scott Pilgrim, you know, like Scott Pilgrim right. is very indebted to video games, but it does it very tongue in cheek and very sort of silly. And it works yep. a little better there here. You know, like you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Everything looks so important and there's so much mm-hmm. time and effort, especially that goes into the fights and, and the way everybody appears and the, the, the way things they say, like there is, he clearly spent a lot of time what like helping the cool factor, but it's, hard to at a certain point it's hard to really give a shit you know it's mm-hmm. like why do i care about michael madsen why do i care about yeah. daryl hannah like daryl hannah as l is the one besides bill and david carradine as bill and uma thurman as the bride beatrix whatever daryl hannah gets a little bit of depth to her and they they establish a rivalry between the two so when they do finally come together you care about it a little more otherwise vivica a. fox lucy Liu, michael madsen like they're all they all have their distinct character traits like they all are unique in some ways but in terms of why they're there and what purpose they're serving it is just to be a next step on the bride's path through everyone and there's just not a lot to that and you can still find value in it again i think there are if someone came up to me and said i like kill bill a lot i wouldn't turn my nose up at them and think they were (laughs) dumb but i would i would feel like that might define them as a you know what their movie going <laughs> tastes are a little more you right, know to put it right. very nicely like i just think right. i would definitely make an assumption like oh you you've seen you probably like sort of dumb action movies which have their place and they're really really fun but right. the, i would like not boondock recommend that Saints. person they like yes boondock or boondock Saints. Yes. <laughs> this is <laughs> a hyper confident boondock Saints. Yes. this is like a <laughs> extremely great boondock saints but i would not recommend that person go back and watch jackie brown i think they would be bored to tears which i was when i was a young person so like i don't you know it's just it's yeah. just different types and, and it's fascinating the same person can make both of these movies not that it's that hard but it's just like the, the way that's the six years have pushed him from the Jackie Brown to a something like this is that, there, that I would have loved to like have been talking to him and see that evolution and like uh. and and why he did this like I think there's so much depth there just just to like wonder why he made that pivot and I, I think he got what he was looking for but it is a very distinct and unique one yeah well and it, it's like it's interesting because it's like it's a it's basically a, essentially a four-hour movie when you put the two of them together and um I wrote it down in my notes like it's 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 a totally relentless film. I mean, it, it's it from from the moment it starts. I mean, you have you know Beatrix Kiddo being shot in the head, and then she's you know breaking out of a hospital, climbing into the pussy wagon, like <laughs> all this stuff. There there's no there there is no um, there isn't really a moment for any of that. Like the it's really weird to say about tarantino but like there isn't much uh, there isn't much of a humanizing moment for any of the characters in the movie there is no like um you know uh jules and vincent talking about big macs in the car they murder a bunch of people you know yeah yeah which i mean is again it's weird to say that um because of what you're pointing at like they're still incredibly violent individuals but like um even even if you look at uma thurman's character in this movie versus in Pulp Fiction, um, you know, there's just, there's just, you know, Mia Wallace is, they, you, you get that, that taste for her um, from, from Jack Rabbit, Jack Rabbit Slims. You get this anecdote about her being in a pilot. Um, it's like a Charlie's Angel stuff. Like it just, it gives you this texture for this person. And, and, and maybe that's maybe if I'm being generous or charitable, like maybe part of the point is that when you're on a revenge 
a legendary revenge mission like this, there is no humanity. But um, or there's no need for what came before <laughs> beyond the thing that makes right, you want to right, kill your right, former friends. Right. But like, that's a lot to. T- I, on the flip side, I would say that's a lot to take for four hours. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, as a as a 35 year old person who's not really that interested in that sort of thing, I don't know. Again, and maybe, we said but, in previous in one of the things the way we described his movies before and what we like so much about them, especially character wise, is they feel so they feel like we're just seeing a snippet of their lives. They feel very like you said the anecdotes, the the little stories, the way they are, the way he hints at previous adventures his characters have sort of been on. That's one of the things that made the other stuff so great. Whether it was on a big scale like in Pulp Fiction to talk about previous crimes they committed or in Jackie Brown just these people feeling like real-ish human beings at least in how you know they're presented and how you, you, you imagine their histories while you're watching the movie there's none of that here and if he's choosing to forego that for the sake of this type of story, like you said, there's there's justification there. That doesn't it, he didn't just become incompetent. So obviously yeah, we know no. he did that for a reason. <laughs> but it does. You then must ask the question: Is this you're 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 leaving one of your strengths on the bench? Like why are you doing that? You know, like you're so good at this, and you're allowed. To, he's allowed to do that. But it's it's hard for me then to appreciate the movie on the depth I've come to appreciate the other ones because I know how good he is at fleshing out characters. So when he chooses not to do that, I have to be like, come on, man. Like there could, there could be so much here. And in so many ways, you just did not go that route, especially in volume one, which like you said, there's no room to breathe at all. And, and that uh, has its benefits and also its detriments. Yeah. Well, and and that's like, I guess to just echo and agree with you, like you see Beatrix kiddo on the worst day of her life, essentially. And then worse and worse days. basically until she finally gets to bill and that to me is actually what kind of like actually saves the whole movie in terms of like it's still being enjoyable and being tied up nicely is you you actually finally get a little bit more of the backstory and a little bit more of the human touch with her daughter being there and everything like that um finally at the very end and like that to me is like that that is like the best it's it's such a you have to wait three hours and 15 minutes basically <laughs> to get there which sucks um i mean maybe it doesn't suck as much when you split the two movies up and you're but like um for me that you that's such a long wait just to get to that and that that is the meat that's the meatiest to me at least was the meatiest best part of the movie by far and, and kind of saved them for me for me that like like i again i don't like you said i don't want to make it sound like we feel like Tarantino's incompetent or or even that these movies are bad I just don't think they're I don't think they're particularly good either <laughs> no like, and you're and you're super right like you do you wait a long time to get to the end which is yeah. a very good part but you have to wait two hours to get to volume two which i think has mm-hmm. three of the deepest richest scenes yeah. and sequences which is the uh, the flashback to when the, they execute the bride and all yeah. of her newfound friends and family the, yeah. the flashback to when she's being trained and then the bill scene at the end like those are the three quote-unquote best scenes in terms of character development and building tension and mm-hmm. and making you and dialogue and making you actually care about these people those three are all great at that they've all come you're, you're like you said you're two hours in you're into the second part and all of a sudden the movie's backloaded with like actual movement and texture and reason to exist and you're like wow i just i sat through the big dumb one and now i get the good one but i do i even like and also like i remember as a kid 
being so surprised by how starkly different the two volumes were. Like, yeah. I loved one for the action when I was 18. Then I saw two, and I was like, wow, a lot of boring talking in this one, you know? <laughs> and, like, that that's that, – I suspect I was not alone in that regard, you know? Like, they're just both – they both – it's just such an interesting choice to split them so so starkly in what they're all about and how they go about telling the story. It's just very night and day. An interesting experiment we try, might try is like three years from now when the next Tarantino comes out, if we just watch Kill Bill two and see what happens, right? Like, do, I, like and just remember what happened in one and actually, yeah, just take like see how it. it stands up. I mean, like, because I mean, there's enough in there. You get the backstory of the the whole backstory of why she's seeking revenge in the beginning of the movie, um, in more detail than you even get in, in volume one. And like, I don't know, like it's kind of it, it kind of would be a good like little little a b test right like this to see um to see if we if we if we felt better about it um but yeah it just feels like such a it's really weird to say like uh you get to you get this amazing breathtaking action and the hattori hanzo sword and all this stuff and but it's kind of a slog to get through that stuff (laughs) i don't know Maybe we're just old. I don't know. I think we are definitely old, or at least older, (laughs) and I want to say more mature in in some ways, but I do... I, I I did when I was watching one volume one again. I I definitely longed to a certain extent to be more like my eighteen year old self and just appreciate it for what it was. But but also it, it, there's a diminishing return with many action movies like that. Once you've seen the set piece, once you've got once you like are shocked or surprised or entertained by the big gunfight or the big knife fight, the second time it's just not going to be as good. Like it just doesn't hold up the way I would say right. good dialogue or good tension building or or stuff where you can maybe appreciate the craft a little more. When I watched Volume 1 again, I was more really impressed, like, wow, this must have been so hard to, like, organize and shoot. Like, this must have been, the stunts must have been so hard, and, like, Uma must have trained so hard for this. Like, I was more dazzled by the technical elements than I was entertained by the cool fight. Right. Well, and also, like, I mean, great point. And also, um, the influence of this film, obviously, that especially Volume 1, has certainly been felt in action sequences since then. So how many times have we now seen that? that like you know the like uh the the music dropping and then just complete carnage since then when the first time we saw it in 2000 whatever early 2000 in the early 2000s it it probably it, i think it was very novel and now it, it doesn't feel very novel anymore i don't so there's that going on as well yeah. um but yeah i i mean I, again i don't want to like i don't want to make excuses either though like um Great action sequence are, sequences are great action sequences, um, but they have to come with some sort of, you know, emotional resonance. Otherwise, like, otherwise you're in a Fast and Furious movie. Like, uh, you know, like, and <laughs> yes. and we love Fast and Furious here, but... Don't um, say that around Hulk. But, uh, he doesn't want to hear no, that. No, no, we love Fast and Furious <laughs> here, but we hold Quentin Tarantino to a higher standard than that, I think. So Yes. <clears throat> and I think too one thing that I noticed in watching them as we did one and two sort of pretty much back to back I watched them back to back two days um, when when you do get sort of the the most Tarantino-y dialogue moment comes at the end of volume two when Bill is uh, mm. explaining why he did what he did and why he raised the daughter and then he tells an anecdote about comic books and Superman mm-hmm. and on one hand it's 
great because it is it taps into what Tarantino is so good at in explaining the sadistic side of seemingly pleasant people. Yeah, Bill yeah. describing why he kept the daughter around is like is cruel and awful that he and leading her and knowing that her mother would return and like and sort of building this up so when she came back she would the daughter would know who her mother was despite the mother being like there's just a dark horrible element to all of that which is great. Mm-hmm. But then there's also Bill bringing up comic books out of nowhere. <laughs> like, as you know, I'm a fan of comic books. It's like, there's no fuck. Like, it's just, this does not fit with this character. It just feels so Tarantino dialogue coming out of David Carradine's mouth. And yeah. it's just, it's, David Carradine is really great otherwise, too. Like, he has this aura about him where you believe him as whatever, as this, as this awful human who is, who has a charm to him, but when he when he goes when he starts talking about Superman, you're just like it's like he had to fit this one fucking pop culture reference into his movie <laughs> that was bereft of them otherwise, and now it just comes across as jarring and weird, you know? Had to do it while he was cutting the crusts off the sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That was really weird. I mean it was cool. Like I actually love, by the way, when directors do things like he cut the crusts off the sandwiches, which is like a very realistic sort of thing to do, but mm-hmm. bizarre to include. But anyway, yeah, I yeah. I mean, you know, he's 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 an excessive person. He can't help himself sometimes, you know. So, um, I'm I'm willing to tolerate the Superman thing in the context of that whole scene. I'm not sure I can tolerate um, the, rat, the other parts, specifically the <laughs> anim, specifically the anime sequence. Just doesn't work for me. Like that part, particular that was the worst part for me. Was like I forgot that there was a, a whole cartoon in the middle of the movie and I just thought it was ridiculous. I mean that's one of the most interesting <laughs> elements that I don't we don't I don't I don't believe there's ever been a re-edited version of this, correct? Like I think they've played back to back many times, but you know, theaters show them back to back, that sort of thing. But I don't I've I've never heard Tarantino describe in detail, and maybe I just didn't missed it, but what what like this would have been as one movie, you know? And I think that is that would be a fascinating watch to see how he would have put this all together if it were one. Like I imagine there would have been a lot of similarities, but but would he have given so much – would we have gotten so much backstory? Like, we get so much uh, Lucy Liu, Oran Ishii backstory. Yeah. We get no Bud backstory. We don't get a ton of yeah. L Driver backstory. We don't get a ton of anybody else. Right. So we don't – no Vivica Fox backstory. Would we have gotten so much Oran Ishii had this been one movie? Or would he have split up screen time a little differently? Like, would, and would it have been a better movie, as you said, had it been – one movie put together another way like i do think there is a three hour cut of this and i would just i would be so fascinated if he was ever for whatever weird ass reason wanted to make that a thing because i think there are a lot of really good parts and i think if you move some stuff around and don't front load it and then back load it altern- alternatingly the way he did i think there is there is probably a better movie in there better for our standards at least you know well he's gonna retire soon so maybe he'll do that <laughs> he is he's gonna have one of those Soderbergh retirements where he does like a TV show and then just comes uh, back anyway. Like, just yeah. There's yeah, no way I, he just goes home. I shot this new film on an iPhone. There's no yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what do you think? Would you would you would you think that? I mean I I suspect you probably do, but what what, what would you imagine he would have done with one making this one movie? Do you think it would have just been four hours of pure Tarantino bullshit regardless or um, I, I don't even know. Like, like, was every scene so immaculate that he was like, I can't cut it. And then they were like, well, we're making it too. Cause we're want to make more money or. 
I mean, I yeah, I, I don't know. Like the the thing is, the guy is like, it's the the puzzling thing to me is like, it almost would make more sense if he did this after Pulp Fiction and then he did Jackie Brown, you know, like 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 okay, I just did Pulp Fiction, like one of the greatest movies of all time. Now I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want, you know. Yep. And like in some ways, Kill Bill is like, we'll we'll see as we get further on. But I, in some ways, Kill Bill is the ultimate. The, the two of them is like the ultimate Tarantino, just doing whatever the hell he wants. It's like a genre mashup. It's four hours long. It has an anime sequence in it, right? Um, <laughs> but like that's the thing. He followed up Pulp Fiction with Jackie Brown, which is like like a subdued, um, much more like methodical, character driven. <clears throat> thriller and an adaptation no less um like it's it's so it's it's kind of hard to puzzle in that regard like i i, I don't know I'm, I'm i'm evading the question just by noting noting the like order of operations here i guess but um but it's it's kind of weird i mean and i it's guess cool that, that, like it adds a little bit of uh like the way we're doing this where i don't think either one of us is particularly diving into the archives of Quentin Tarantino's, you know, interview career or, or press clippings and right. figuring out why he went from movie to movie to movie. So we're just taking it as like this is the movie and it came after the last movie. So like how is he different in whatever many years in between? What be yeah. they 6 be they 2, which I sort of think I, I you and I both like the the behind the scenes info when it comes, but I think it is more fascinating just to take it as the movie itself. And and like yeah. you said, be like, wow, he made this. Like maybe he couldn't, maybe there was some logistical reason why he couldn't do Kill Bill until now, you know? Like mm-hmm. but it's more interesting to like to just see what he wanted to do and see what he put on screen and how that and then imagine what that means about the man himself and how he was you know considering his filmmaking prowess like how what he was choosing to laser focus his energies on like i think there's so much depth to that that is just it's fun to, it's fun to speculate obviously you and i love speculating as well but it's it, it allows you to take a bit of a purer view and just say what is this movie and why did it come to be yeah and i think uh, you know it's funny you say that i'm getting philosophical maybe because it's late at night here but um <laughs> uh here is a here is someone who, again, made one of the greatest movies of all time in Pulp Fiction, right? Like consensus, mm-hmm. and then got complete creative freedom. And actually, that's relatively rare in the business. Um, you know, I I um, and and so in that sense, it is interesting what he kind of does with it. You know both in the Jackie Brown and the Kill Bill sense, right? After both of those are kind of interesting choices. Um, and so uh, I agree with you. Like it's, it, it is interesting to kind of sit back here and we're, like you said, we're not reading, like ex- we're not doing extensive research and inter- uh, interviews at, at the time and like working ne- Lexus Nexus or whatever. Is that what it would be? Um, <laughs> that was and, a very old man reference. <laughs> but, uh, but like it is, it is interesting to see with someone like this, like someone like him with complete artistic and creative freedom does. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting going forward. You know, gosh, I, I was just telling you, I, I finished up watching um, uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which is great. Um, but those guys, Lord and Miller, the, 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 the co-directors there, you know, they've made a bunch of hits, but they don't, you know, I don't get the sense that they have, and they've made great, great films. I don't want to diminish it, but I don't get the sense that they, those two have the, um, the total creative freedom that 
Quentin Tarantino does. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's, it's really rare. And that's why it's kind of fun to, to go through his movies in this regard. Um, well, it's also, uh, and they're, I mean, they're a weird, but also interesting comparison because they seem to enjoy working within constraints that you right. think would make their movie shit. Like, right. oh, you make it like when Lego movie was announced. I was like, oh, yep. this is so stupid. Like, this is going to be the worst yep. movie ever. And because like angry, there's there's plenty of examples of stuff like that being yep. terrible. And they yep. make it fun. And that's like one of their strong suits is they're able to make yep. that kind of stuff super fun. Um, there is something to there is value in having some sort of, sh- you know, uh, could someone lording over you to some extent, right. having something to rebel right. against, having something so you work within some sort of constraints. Like, I don't think that is always the worst thing. I think of another weird comparison. I think of when Arrested Development was on television and they had to bleep out the curse words and right. and just be a little more clever. And they just they, they deployed that so perfectly and they made mm-hmm. it funny, the fact that they weren't saying fuck and the fact that mm-hmm. they were, you know. But once they went on Netflix, it, I think almost uh, objectively it went off the It was not good. And they yeah. Started making like forty minute episodes, and they were cursing, and like it just was not the same show anymore. Because I think w- having to work within the boundaries that were established was frustrating, but also made them be clever. And I think when you give a Tarantino un- unparalleled freedom, yes, he might make a really cool Jackie Brown that is great, but also <laughs> there's there's an excess element. Which uh-huh. again, this movie didn't cost two hundred million dollars. I mean, like it was in a lot of ways, it was still modest no. in the sense but but it was right. it, it's just unapologetically tarantino you know yeah, it's excessive and yeah. and and violent and just a lot of all those things are on full display it's excess in the creative choices not excess in <laughs> yeah. the budget budget right which is it made a ton of it was it's his most successful movie by far i believe too it yeah. made the budget was 30 million and the first one made 180 and the second mm-hmm. one made 150 so that is huge huge returns for a movie like his for movies like his yeah interesting so it works like i think he he i'm certain he did maybe beyond the cutting in into two and even then maybe i'm not sure how he feels about that at this point but it very much is the movie he wanted to make i'm sure and it is beloved in many many ways but yeah i think at the at least in the point in life where we're at and again going through his movies the way we are i think it's hard to look at this and find a ton of you know it just it sort of is what it is you know like it's just, it's just there's no layers underneath that you that we're uncovering and there's no revisiting it and being like ooh i forgot about this this is great yeah. like it's just it's, it's just what it was like and, and we like it a little less maybe yeah. because we're older maybe because it's, we've seen it a couple times like who knows but <laughs> there's no layers of the onion to peel back here right like i don't, <laughs> no, I don't not. like like i could watch pulp fiction and jackie brown over and over and over again and i feel like i could find something new like every single time and that is just not the case with this movie in my opinion um you may find I, i'll i'll couch that a little bit you may find like extra pieces of mythology and lore like that's this movie is all about the mythology and lore stuff the tori hanzo sword and like the the pie and like all that stuff but it's not there's no there's no like there's no layers of subtlety and character development and like you know sidelong glances that you're gonna pick up here there's nothing like to your point i've seen this movie now these movies now several times you know in my life and I, i don't I don't necessarily feel the need to like revisit them in the sense that I'm going to get, I'm going to pick up something new. Yep. That's a real, that's a great point too. I didn't think about that as we wrap up here, but I, I think that's very true. There is, he does do some of those, 
like the, the Tori Hanzo and the Pai Mei scenes do feel like part of a larger story. They yeah. feel like they're yeah. they're super intriguing. You're like, ooh, I like how who is this weird legendary swordsman? Who is this great trainer of murderers? Like I'm so I'm captivated by them. But but they are blips in the movie, you know. Like the, those scenes are great for what they are, but there is two, there is four hours around them essentially, you know. <laughs> and the, the most of those other four hours are not spent making you care about the other people in the movie, and that's just it's not a recipe for for long term success or for something that necessarily will stand the test of time. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. But oh well, like I said, if I if this comes out and people message us and say you guys are Alita's buttholes and I love Kill Bill and it's great, I'm not gonna start. A, <laughs> I would not engage in that fight. Like I will say to each their own. There's some good stuff. It's just in the context of the Tarantino the whole thing. It's just it's hard to not say it's the worst one we've seen. Like I don't know. Do you think this is better or worse than Reservoir Dogs? Oh. um... Man, I think I like Reservoir Dogs <laughs> more, more just because uh, just because of like what we said. Like those characters just were good. Like it wasn't always. Uh, it was. It was. If it was, it was shitty at times, and it it felt very like a guy working through a lot you know, of stuff. But I like, think Hattel's, I. I don't know. I think I disagree. I think I think I would go with Kill Bill just by a, a nudge, just because it's got more movie to it, right? Like again, yeah. I, I go back to the idea that like Reservoir Dogs feels like a stage play. Like I feel like. Walter and Donnie from like Big Lebowski are eating In and Out Burger and watching Reservoir Dogs sometimes, <laughs> like in, in that that scene in Big Lebowski where they're yes. like watching a community theater, <laughs> like which is not sick. Reservoir Dogs is bad. I just like there there there's more there's more going on like cinematically, obviously with the action sequences and everything. But it's it's that's that, that's a t- it's kind of a tough tough choice because I agree with you that the character development. Other things, other elements of Reservoir Dogs are, are superior, um, but yeah, I mean, like both of those are just so so second class citizen relative to the the Pulp Fiction and Jackie Browns that we've we've dealt with in the last few episodes. So yeah, and I think as we move forward, we're gonna define these tiers even more. You know, yeah. I think there's yeah. gonna be like you said, this is definitely a demarcation line type movie. One of the next movies we're gonna see, not the next one, but Inglorious Bastards widely regarded as a classic. I think there, there are still a bunch of peaks in the Tarantino career, but there are some valleys coming as well. And this, this excess and this sort of um, too muchness, which has always been a feature of his work now becomes sort of the main course. And I think yeah. In, yeah. in some ways at some times, and I think we're going to see that a little more going forward and it'll just be, I think from our perspective, it'll be very interesting yeah. to parse that and come to grips with it and, and see whether it is a total detriment or just a little bit of a detriment or, or sometimes maybe a benefit. Maybe it's just, maybe we're in the mood for fun on some of them and we'll actually like them. Yeah. This depends on the day. <laughs> It really does. So please keep coming back and join us for more Tarantino. Good stuff coming up. Next, we have Death Proof, which I have never seen, Andrew. So this is going to be a fascinating one. Okay. All right. Uh, It's short, at least. We're going to do a nice switcheroo in terms of length. So I'm really excited for that. It's got a lot of Kurt Russell, so it can't be all bad. (laughs) I do love Kurt Russell. I remember liking Death Proof a lot uh, the last time I saw it, and uh, but you know we'll we'll see again given our conversation about Kill Bill whether that uh, that that sentiment lingers. <laughs> yep, you're a grown ass man now, so we'll see yeah. how that factors in. 
Yeah. But yes, please stay subscribed to the In Real Deep podcast. Please keep reloading those feeds. Please keep visiting inrealdeep.com and checking out our wares. There's some reviews up there. The podcasts always go up there. Tons of good stuff. And we will be returning with Death Proof in a little while for your listening pleasure. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Atree, thanks for staying up so late. And you got to get your Zs, so I appreciate it. Yeah, do I ever. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. As always, we'll be seeing you further on up the road. Adios. Adios.